This is episode number 44 with Luke's story. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Luke is a former Hollywood celebrity fashion stylist and has spent the past 21 years developing and refining the ultimate lifestyle based on the most popular principles of health and spirituality, while at the same time embracing the technology and modern conveniences of urban living. Using himself as a human research lab, Luke has explored a broad and sometimes extreme variety of measures to obtain optimal health, performance and well-being. And he has applied his findings to not only completely transform his own life, but also the lives of thousands of people through his various media channels and speaking engagements. Some of the things that we chat about in today's episode are his journey from Hollywood celebrity fashion stylist to well-known biohacking lifestylist, what exactly is a lifestylist, how to not become obsessed with your health, which is very easy to do, why self-love is key to our happiness, the best biohacking tricks that you can try, what is bringing him the most joy in his life right now, his epic and elaborate morning routine, plus so much more. For everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out at the show notes and that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 44. And without further ado, let's bring on this beautiful, humble, epic, amazing human being, Luke Story. Luke, it is so great to have you on the show. I am so excited for today's conversation. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) <laughs> That's really funny that you would ask that today because today I had some blood drawn uh, in my house here. And so I didn't eat from 10 p.m. last night till 12 p.m. today because I had to do at least a 12-hour fast in order to get clean blood results. So technically what I had for breakfast was a glass of fresh spring water that I got from a mountain in, uh, where was this one from? Uh, Lake Tahoe some water that I recently collected. And then there was some uh, magnesium bicarbonate, some sea salt, some iodine. And let me see what else was in there. Oh, some uh, nitrogen. And so that that's like my morning water. So that was breakfast. But then I did cheat a little bit and I had a chaga tea with some uh, Four Sigmatic coffee in it, but nothing else, like no butter or anything like that. And uh, so that was that was a liquid breakfast. And then by the time I finally ate 
food. Oh, I know what I, <laughs> right after she took the blood, I ate like a huge um, fistful of really good um, pastured pork salami. <laughs> it was so good. I was like so hungry, literally like she pulled the needle out and I was like, I just started wolfing, wolfing down this great salami from Belcampo, which is a, a, a local butcher that I go to and also recently visited their farm on that same spring water expedition, actually. Mm, beautiful. So for a lot of people, some of the terms that you may have just used may have sounded like you were speaking another language. I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> But I want to hear about your journey. First off, I want to hear how does a former celebrity fashion stylist become this well-known biohacker and lifestylist? Tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today. And can you please tell us what a lifestylist is? Sure. I'll start with the latter. So, after I made a decision about, I guess it was about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, to retire from being a fashion stylist, for those listening that don't know what that is, uh, oftentimes people, when I say that, they go, oh, so you make clothes, you design clothes? I'm like, no. When you're a stylist, you buy clothes, you borrow clothes, you steal clothes, you get clothes however you get them, and then you put them on other people. So it's, um, it's someone that puts outfits together for music videos, red carpet, commercials, advertising, fashion shows and the like. So when I decided to quit doing that after 17 years in the business and wanted to pursue, you know, a new venture in health and wellness essentially, I just came up with the idea because I didn't want to I don't like the idea of being a life coach. There's like so many terms that I wrestled with and I have such a wide variety of interest and and experience in different things ranging from physical health to more mindfulness, meditation, and spirituality. And I didn't really fancy myself like a legitimate spiritual teacher per se. I wasn't about to don the orange robe and go sit on silk pillows with a bunch of flowers in front of me and teach people to meditate. So I had to kind of find my my sort of rock and roll niche. So I thought, wow, I could be a lifestylist. So much like I took all of the different elements of fashion and put together these great composite looks for people, you know, you match the shoes and the earrings to the jeans and the skirt and the jacket and the blouse, etc. I thought, well, I've been putting together my own lifestyle and doing that for so many other friends and family for, at that point, it was 19, 20 years or something. I thought I could just take all of the elements of building a really high quality, high performance, fulfilling, healthy lifestyle and teach people through my podcast and through coaching programs, how to take all of these somewhat complex principles and practices and integrate them into your life in a way that builds a life. So it's like lifestyling, like creating a lifestyle. So you might have a lifestyle that involves going out all night drinking and you know, being exposed to lots of blue light and toxins and negative thinking and negative emotions and dysfunction. I mean, that in and of itself is my old lifestyle, which is kind of how I got here. Yeah. And you can kind of turn that lifestyle around by just putting bits and pieces together and I like the idea of suggesting to people that they do that in an incremental way rather than just having the really difficult expectation on oneself that you're just going to wake up tomorrow and be the perfect person, that it's about the journey and just taking those little baby steps along the way. So that's where the lifestylist thing sort of came into. It's just, it's just like designing a lifestyle. And there's a lot of yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, sometimes wacky and sometimes very practical things that that, that involves, you know. Uh, but how I ended up with that as my passion and area of expertise really is 
you know, I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 years old and I had a pretty rough childhood. Um, I mean, I'm sure people have had it rougher, but for me, subjectively, I was not a happy camper, had a lot of behavioral problems and problems with school and the police and was just kind of a drug addicted juvenile delinquent and uh, finally broke free of what little parental guidance I was <laughs> given at home and moved to Hollywood, when I, which that wasn't a lot to begin with, but it was still too much. So I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 and started playing in bands and things like that. And essentially, I just had a really self-destructive, miserable lifestyle, um, you know, peppered with moments of fun and exhilaration when things were kind of going well for me. But they were very short-lived uh, moments, you know, getting a record deal or something like that. You know, there'd be some good things would happen. But I was just really unhappy and depressed and absolutely just physically in really bad shape. So when I was 26, I sort of hit a wall there. And that's my classic, you know, cliche hero's journey where I just like, I hit rock bottom and sought help. I mean, it's really what happened, as, as cliche as it might be. But uh you know, what, what I realized quickly after I sort of started addressing the issues that I was having with drugs and alcohol and all of the, the very obvious acute addiction problems was that there was really a lot more that I needed to deal with. And so thus began a journey, which is now 20 years in the making of really, really committing myself to spiritual pursuit and meditation and all sorts of different yogic practices and breathing practices and, um, and, and fitness and all sorts of fairly extreme and sometimes experimental biohacking or health practices and herbalism and supplementation and acupuncture and ice baths and cryotherapy and on and on and on and on. Just all these things that I've done to just really just to feel good. It's sort of like I turned the obsession, you know, from doing things that were destructive and had really negative consequences and side effects, doing all that stuff obsessively to then sort of becoming this health and happiness obsessed person, which of course has its own pathology that I've had to, you know, unpack in terms of being too controlling about what I eat and all that weird stuff. There's so many different phases of it, but now I feel like I've arrived at a fairly balanced place where I, I'm able to really teach people about a lot of things that I've discovered over the years that work and also maybe warn or discourage people pursuing some of the things that um, that aren't really worth the time or money. So I consider myself kind of an expert in finding the best supplements and the best practices and uh, and helping to share that information with people. And now, I mean, honestly, Melissa, I'm just like, I can't even believe my life. I'm literally living the dream. I still own a fashion school, which is like my day job, uh, but I'm not a stylist anymore. But I just like, I get to talk to people like you. I have my podcast, The Lifestylist. I mean, the people that I get to meet and spend time with, I just have the most rich, fulfilling, amazing life. Even when there's bumps in the road and tough times with relationships and illness and money and, you know, all the shit that we still have to go through as humans, it's like nothing really gets me too rattled anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have a really, really good life and I have a lot of gratitude and I'm just, I'm just very thankful for where I am at this point of really living my passion. So I'm speaking at a bunch of events over the next couple months and I've been on a ton of podcasts and it's just like, the universe is giving me huge all caps. Yes, go do it. You know, so I'm just really enjoying it right now. Mm, and that's because you've showed up, you know, you did the work after you hit rock bottom, you really dove head first. 
It sounds like everyone needs a lifestylist. <laughs> totally, it's, totally. It's such an amazing idea. Like, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, you know, this is the stuff that we need to look at. Um, and I love what you said about, you know, you've turned one obsession into another obsession. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I have seen a few people get very, very obsessed with their health and the biohacking world. And I was curious to know whether you thought that term biohacking could be used for some people as an excuse to cover up their obsession or their compulsive health issues. So, how do you work around that? And if you see it with your clients, how do you work around it? Uh, It's so great. Well, you know what I think it is, Melissa, is that you're, I mean, you're so right on. It's just like all pursuits of personal development, I think we all go through, you know, once we, we get that curiosity, some, some people just have the curiosity. They just, they want to grow and evolve naturally without abject pain necessarily motivating them. Just for me, it took pain in order for me to open my mind and, and get that curiosity fired up. But uh, I think we all go through these different phases of development. You know, it's like, there's been periods where I do a lot of reading of spiritual texts and books, and then there's phases where like, I meditate more, and then there was the vegetarian period for 10 years, and then there's the finding paleo and then being like super caveman and rewilding for five years. You know, it's like it, myself and just in those that I've worked with and observed, um, I think as, as humans, we're, we like novelty, you know, and so oftentimes when we're on the path and we're driven there for whatever reason, whether it be, as I said, pain or curiosity, we discover things along the way. And for people like me that are like, I'm just hyper intense and, and obsessed about the things that I'm into. It's like when I was a little kid, I was into, you know, I had my different phases. Like one phase was like Bruce Lee and karate movies. And that's all I talked about, had posters all over my walls. And it's like, everything was about karate, you know? And then I got out of that and it was music or whatever. So I think we all sort of, to a degree, have that tendency. Um, but to speak to your point more specifically, thankfully, in my own experience, I spent a lot of time in introspection and doing, you know, silent retreats and years and years of meditation and prayer and Kundalini yoga and all of these things that have helped to give me some degree of self awareness. So there have been times where I'm using all of these sort of this obsession with health and food and herbs and taking care of my body. And I've sort of become aware at a certain point that I'm using those things as a distraction, perhaps from facing the more challenging transformation, which is that of the inner work, the my emotional life, dealing with trauma, dealing with shame, dealing with self-esteem issues, self-worth, like the stuff that none of us, frankly, really like to fucking look at. So I've observed in myself and in others that sometimes finding the new pill or the new biohacking gadget or spending, I mean, for me, I can spend a whole day, I'll go to like the float tank and do an ice bath and then stand in front of my juve red light therapy and take an infrared sauna. And, you know, I can take self-care to like almost a pathological level. Not that there's anything good or bad necessarily about these practices, but without the awareness that one has the propensity to use them as an escape or use them as a distraction, I think there is some risk in becoming becoming someone that uses all that stuff as a means by which to avoid what's really going on inside. And so as I've become aware of, of that propensity at different points in my journey, 
I've had to just not necessarily stop doing those practices, but do them with a little more awareness and consciousness. So it's just like you can use a health practice just like you can use social media or pornography or anything else to escape your problem. So it's like, am I using all of my health practices to escape pain? And I have been. And when I find that I'm doing that, I take some time out to stop and face whatever discomfort or pain or you know, darkness or shadows or whatever it is that I find myself running from. So it's been really fun for me to go through those phases and discover those things about myself and then just stop and go, okay, what am I running from? What am I hiding from? And then just walk through that and summon the courage through prayer and through having great mentors and coaches myself to be able to face those things. And then sort of like on the other side of that, now I mean, I do all of this crazy stuff when I travel, for example. Like if people follow me on Instagram, like my stories are just insane. People are like, dude, you're nuts. All the shit that I bring on the plane in my hotel rooms. And I'm, it's like, I'm really obsessive about all this biohacking. But at the same time, Melissa, I really don't take it all that seriously. And it's sort of, um, it's really a hobby. It's just what I enjoy doing. I like geeking out on the human body and technology and supplements and all this stuff. Um, in a sense, my hobby is like, how good can I possibly feel and how how much can I overflow with chi, with prana, with energy? Like, you know, how much good energy can I produce in the world and share with the world? So as I was telling you before we, we recorded, I was just in New York for 10 days. I recorded 15 podcasts while I was there and recorded an entire online course about biohacking travel. And it's like, I just don't stop. So it's like the stuff that I'm doing is working and it's it's valuable. But at the same time, I know that it's all sort of just for fun and it's just on one level a game. And the stuff that really moves the needle is is my inner life. It's, you know, really learning for me, the lesson right now is learning how to really cultivate more self-love and self-acceptance and have come to the realization in the past year that I really don't think very highly of myself, um, considering what I've managed to overcome and accomplish in my life. And based on the feedback that I get from the world, uh, other people tend to think I'm a lot cooler than I think of myself, <laughs> you know? So that's something that I'm working on just, you know, to be totally real right now is is that end of life. And the health stuff is sort of a no-brainer. That just kind of takes care of itself and I play around with it. But man, it's it's really about that self-awareness and self-honesty and and being willing to face the shadows as they continue to come up year after year, you know, those nooks and crannies that we all I think try to avoid using whatever means, whether they be health practices or or any other method of escape. Mm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because for me, self-love has been the biggest journey I've been on and it's constantly peeling back the layers and, you know, there's moments where I have such deep reverence and love for myself, like pure ecstasy where I just am overflowing and then, you know, there's moments where I slip back into this old habit or this old belief system and it knocks me. It really, you know, knocks me from under my feet. And um, I love that you've said, you know, awareness is absolute key. Awareness is key for transformation. Awareness is key for self-love. And Because if we don't have that awareness, we don't know. It's like you don't know what you don't know. So, for me, 
coming back to being highly aware and conscious of every moment. You know, what are the thoughts I'm thinking right now in this moment that are making me feel this way has really helped me. And self-love has been a huge journey for me. And I know it is for a lot of people. So I'm so glad that you just brought that all back to self-love. But I'd love to hear, you know, why do you think it's something that we all struggle with? Something that just came to mind, Melissa, I want to share with you because it's just before I talk about how that possibly happened, but I just interviewed uh, Sharon Salzberg out in New York, who's a really, you know, famous Buddhist meditation teacher. And when I interviewed, I'm 46 right now, when I interviewed her, I was doing my research on her and she's been meditating for exactly 46 years. So <laughs> when I was born, she was like going to India and learning how to meditate. So she's she's got a lot of perspective on self-awareness, but in her latest book, it's called Real Love. And uh, it's just fantastic. It's all about this, not only love of, of oneself, but sort of an unconditional love of reality, of whatever's happening, just that loving kindness attitude and perspective. But anyway, there's a quote that she has that I just, I just absolutely adore, and we covered it, and she unpacked it a little bit in the interview, and it goes like this, and it's just pertinent to this conversation. You can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Mm. I mean, it's just like, oh my God, when I read that, it just gives me chills, you know? Mm, that is so beautiful. Isn't that great? Mm. I mean, she's got tons of those. That's just one that I happened to pick out during the interview. But this is a concept, you know, the self-love is a concept that I... I guess I've heard over the years in spiritual circles and, you know, valuing yourself and self-care and self-respect and self-worth and all of these kind of things. And I never really knew it was missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess I've done affirmations and things over the years. And, you know, you put the little note on your mirror that says, I love you, kid. You're doing a great job and shit. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't really... Feel it. Yeah. And I didn't see the depth in it. And I didn't mm. see the the dire necessity for it in order to move forward. But as I've gone through struggles over the past couple years in, in, rela in romantic relationships primarily, and I've gotten myself into, I don't want to say they were like bad decisions or bad choices because I don't really think of life in that way, but some situations in which I experienced pain and loss and attachment and some levels of dysfunction and have sort of extricated myself from those situations and then really been in a lot of pain for a number of different reasons and forced to sit there and look at it. And it's like, well, God, what is this pattern that I have developed in my life and what's at the root of it? And and I think what I've found and why this is a big part of my work right now, the self-love piece, and I am in a roundabout way getting to your answer, is that you know a lack of really valuing myself has allowed me to make decisions and involve myself in situations that didn't necessarily serve my highest good because I really didn't think that I deserved better on a, on a very deeply subconscious level. And so for me, that looks like, wow, if someone else says they love me and accept me and care about me, I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, wow, I'm all in, <laughs> you know, without necessarily really stepping back to uh, assess whether or not that relationship is what serves the highest good for both of us in that moment. It's almost like, oh my God, you you think I'm okay? All right, let's be together, you know? It's like, well, that's not a very good criteria. I mean, you really have to look at the areas in which you're compatible and not compatible. And do you share the same morals and values and 
things like that. And some of those things for me have fallen by the wayside and I've made sort of short-sighted decisions perhaps because of that lack of self, self-love and self-worth. So that's kind of the, the platform that I'm on now, kind of looking out at my own life and, and having some real time to reflect and actually just not dating or anything like that for a period of a few months and just examining, you know, what is at the core of that? And to answer your question more specifically, what I'm finding is just, it's, it's shame as a result of trauma. I mean, it's like, these are things that I dismissed as therapeutic notions that I, I took care of this shit when I was 14, when I was in therapy, you know, it's like, I mean, I was really like got a lot of therapy as a teenager because I really needed it. And it was dealing with, you know, sexual abuse when I was a kid and my parents were really dysfunctional and, and abusive in their own ways, you know, sometimes covertly. And I was abandoned and neglected and it's just, it's just what happened. I love my parents. I, I know they did the best they could. We have good relationships now. We've all grown. But I, I think that, that that lack of self-love is like, it's not necessarily a lack of self-love. It's the presence of shame as a result of trauma. So for me, when I was abandoned and neglected as a kid uh, and abused as a kid, it's the message that I got was that I was worthless and that there was something wrong with me and I didn't have value and that I wasn't worthy of love. So how can I grow into adulthood and maturity and have any semblance of love for myself, let alone to be able to really take in and accept genuine and legitimate love from others? And so I've been really looking at the basis of that shame again and again and again, you know, shit that I thought, like I said, that I had dealt with years ago, but maybe I'd only scratched the surface and there's really more to that. And so... You know, there's there's so many different angles that I think uh, are required to come at this stuff from because I always just went the spiritual route. I mean, for the past 21 years, I've been very actively pursuing meditation and prayer and, and really living a quite devotional life, even though I live in Hollywood and I have fun and, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely not an angel by, by any stretch, but I, I do have a deep connection with my creator and, and my higher power, and it's, it's the basis of my life. So I just thought, well, if I just get spiritual enough, then that will break these patterns or that will give me self-esteem or maybe if I'm of service enough, because I do really serve my fellow man and my community a lot. I'm not necessarily out of virtue, but just because that, that's what creates a fulfilling life for me. And so I, I do that, but none of those things, you know, the, the service and the spirituality really in and of themselves have boosted that self-love. For me, it's, it's become a very proactive process and something that I really have to work into my, my consciousness. And how that's begun for me is really by admitting and identifying the problem first. That's like, wow, I really feel badly about myself a lot of the time and just addressing that and admitting that and being open about that like we're doing right now in this in this conversation slash monologue <laughs> and uh i mean you asked me like a very deep and meaningful question right now so there's just a lot that a lot to unpack there but <clears throat> um that's what i'm working on right now and the, the solution for me seems to be you know accepting where i am and then really being proactive about applying that self-care and that self-love. And for me, that has a lot to do with um, really being conscious not to people please. 
um, being aware of when I, I need to say no, standing up to people, firing people when I need to fire them, ending relationships when I need to end them, you know, taking time for myself when I need to take time for myself instead of trying to save the world, you know, all these kind of things. But more than anything, it's just, it's an attitude of just generating this heartfelt, really positive regard for myself and just practicing a lot of self-talk that's just like, dude, Luke, you're amazing. You are. Absolutely. Thank, well, thank you. And, and not, you know, of course, obviously, I'm hoping for anyone listening, that's not like amazing in contrast to the people that are less amazing than I. <laughs> you know, it's not like a, val- a valuation of, of amazingness. It's just an acknowledgement that like, you've come a long way, kid. Like, keep going you know, and uh, it's sort of self-encouragement. The last thing is that's really interesting is is that I'm finding the more I'm able to really cultivate that within myself and just, it, it really, it, it, it actually, it, uh, it manifests in my being so much more authentic and vulnerable, you know, on my podcast and with the public at large and just with my interpersonal relationships. Like I'm very brutally honest and real more and more all the time. And what's really trippy about that is that the more vulnerable and authentic and and intimate I am with other people, the more acceptance and approval and love I get. So it's sort of like that self-love and self-respect that I'm cultivating is being so radically reflected back to me on an instantaneous basis as I live my life, that it's, it's just like astonishing. And then that sort of reverberates and magnifies my ability to continue giving myself more of that. It's a really interesting feedback loop that I'm just, I'm right in the process of enjoying that. So you really, you really struck a nerve because this is just like why I said, when I'm really happy and I love my life right now, it's, it's because I'm just embracing who I am and I'm, I'm just... I'm done trying to be the person that I think other people are going to like. I really am feeling a very high degree of freedom. And that is so delectable. Mm, I am so glad you have mentioned this because self-love isn't woo-woo. It's not woo-woo. It is a necessity. And you a testament to you know all the crazy health biohacking things that you've done but it all comes back to that deep love reverence and appreciation that we have for ourselves and for me self-love has been such a huge journey like I mentioned before and something that everything that you mentioned you know being radically honest and self-care and saying no and people-pleasing, all of those things that you've mentioned have all really supported me on really deepening my love and respect for myself. But something else that's really helped me, I've found um, when I don't, when I'm lacking that self-love, it's usually when I'm not present. So, when I bring my attention back to the present moment, like, oh my gosh, what's actually in front of me right now? Like, what can I see? What can I taste? What can I touch? I am flooded with love. Like, every cell in my entire body is just like, we're actually here. Like, this is a miracle. And for me, that's been one of my 
biggest lessons is remaining present, you know, not hanging out in the past or in the future and just continuously coming back to this beautiful moment that the only moment we actually have, that has helped me with self-love so much. It's like, okay, why am I feeling like this right now? Right. I'm not present. Come back, come back. And, you know, sometimes I forget and I have to remind myself and that has been so beneficial for me on my self-love journey. And that's why, you know, meditation has been huge for me because that's me practicing my presence muscle. So, I'm so glad that you have just mentioned this and been so open and honest because everyone deals with this, everyone, and to different varying degrees, of course. But when you were speaking, my heart was like exploding with love because I was just think like I I look at you from my perspective and I'm like, but you're amazing, Luke, and you're such a beautiful person. And look at all the love that you're sharing to the world. But it doesn't matter what I say because you've got to feel it. And I know so many women that deal with this as well, and in, in a lot of the work that I do, and it and it kind of pulls on my heartstrings. And my next book, Open Wide, is all about coming back to self-love. It's called the it's called Open Wide, the radically real guide to deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex. Send me an advanced copy. I could use all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you will get one, don't you worry. But for me, we want to experience that deep rich relationship with someone else. We've got to have it with ourselves first. So I love that you have just brought this up and shone some light on it because I know everyone listening will deal with self-love issues, whatever you want to call them, to some degree. So I'm just so grateful for your honesty. Absolutely. Well, you're so right in in that I think so many of us seek that, you know, that magical fantasy partner or job or home or, you know, whatever it is that we each have our our top 10 list of the things that we'll be happy if, we'll be happy wins, you know. And uh, it's really so true that unless I'm able to cultivate that contentment and fulfillment within myself, that no matter who or what you put into my life as an add-on, I'll still be unsatisfied. And that's a a revelation that I've been experiencing for a long time, but more acutely lately uh, in terms of career. You know, it's like, okay, I just, I need to get to this uh, revenue amount or this accomplishment or this title or whatever it is. And it's like, if I can't be totally contented and happy and feel really good about myself and my accomplishments and my life at this stage of development, then when I get 10 feet down the road, I'm just going to be a guy who's 10 feet down the road and is still dissatisfied and still doesn't feel good about himself and his life. And and to tie that into what you're saying about the now, I mean, that's without that practice and that awareness, none of the stuff that we're talking about is possible because the 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 moment that we're in right now, you know, there it goes, there it goes, there it goes. They're just so fleeting. And I think the the present moment is really the only place where there is the reality, capital T, capital R, the great the great reality. It's like that's where that conscious contact and that communion with whatever it is that created us um, and is animating the entire universe. That's the only place that I can really make contact with that. 
you know, whether you call it God or whatever words work for someone. I don't know what an atheist or agnostic does. I guess you have to find your own interpretation. But for those of us that believe in some sort of higher power, as I do, that present moment and my breath, especially like the physical embodiment of my own consciousness is my breath. And when I'm connected to my breath, connected to that moment, then I'm connected to the benevolent source that created me. And that's where that self-love and acceptance can freely flow. You're so right. It's not like something, okay, so next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, I'm going to set an alarm on my phone, and then I'm going to do this self-love practice. It's like it really is a momentary thing, just incrementally throughout each moment of the day that I have to cultivate that feeling of appreciation for myself. So it's really, really well said. I appreciate that. Mm, So I guess this would be the best biohacking, optimizing tool that we have. But because you are a human guinea pig, as you say, (laughs) and not many people would know why you would strap a Delta sleeper to your third eye. But I I do because my husband, actually, you and my husband would get along so well. It's crazy. You're both massive biohackers. (laughs) And, um, you know, he, he speaks exactly like you in terms of it comes back to the self-love, but he just has so much fun with all this biohacking stuff. So I'd love to shift gears and I'd love to hear about some of the crazy biohacking things that you have done to optimize your life. Like what's worked, what's been the craziest, weirdest thing and what's been a waste of time. And maybe, you know, what are your top five that we could try? The most important thing is one's uh, spiritual orientation and one's emotional and mental health. So that's the stuff that really moves the needle, like spirit hacking, I guess you could say for lack of a better term. But here's the thing though, is like, you can't totally discount the physical either. It's like, I don't think that I would be able to have the, the, the great, you know, feelings that I have and the moods that I have and the energy that I have just from, you know, eating GMO food from the the big grocery store down the street and just meditate enough and be okay. I mean, I really do think that it's a it's a fully integrative approach. And, you know, you've got to have your hormones on point. You've got to have your neurotransmitters firing right. The brain health, mitochondria is really important to just emotional well-being. So I, I do believe in a holistic approach. I just also having been someone so obsessed with the physical part for so long uh, to the point of possible neurosis <laughs> that I always encourage people don't you know don't forget about the the spiritual aspect because you can biohack yourself to death and like still you know nothing no biohack in the world cures you of anger and resentment and you know hatred that you have for people that wronged you and things like that like the inner work is absolutely paramount that said uh, let me see what am I into lately well you know right now I mean I don't know how crazy this is but it's What's crazy about it is crazy, effective, and powerful. My latest piece of technology is a biofeedback device, which is called an AMP coil. A-M-P, one word, C-O-I-L, AMP coil. And the AMP coil is a very unique piece of technology because it combines a number of different um, sort of Well, technologies, alternative healing technologies that have been around for a while, but they've never been integrated into one device. And so it has a biofeedback element 
in that it's able to determine inconsistencies and imbalances in your body by reading the energy fields in your body. And it does this through a voice analysis, which is pretty groundbreaking. It uses the same technology as a modern lie detector test. And that can tell you all sorts of things like your heavy metal load and parasites and candida and um, just imbalances in any organ system or deficiencies in nutrients and vitamins and all sorts of stuff. So it's a very neat analysis tool. And then the other part of it is, is there's a piece of software that um, lives on a tablet and there's a number of different programs which are frequencies. So there's um, these very specific frequencies that address different imbalances in your body. And once you've determined what yours are, then this app transmits those frequencies into a giant 200 watt amplifier. That amplifier then sends those frequencies into your body on a cellular level using a device called a modified Tesla coil, also known as a PEMF device, a pulsed electromagnetic field. So to put that in common terms, and that's pretty much the only way I can talk because I'm not a very scientific guy, uh, is that this device essentially reads your body, determines what frequencies of energy, in other words, what wavelengths of sound are going to be beneficial and healing to your body, then sends them very powerfully through a magnetic field to penetrate every single cell in your body, including the cells that are on the other side of the blood-brain barrier and the cells inside your bones and your hollow organs. So this type of technology and this delivery system is unprecedented. And um, it was actually invented by a guy who suffered from acute Lyme disease for 10 years. And that's what sort of caught my attention because my mom's had really uh, severe Lyme disease for many years and it's just devastated her life. So when I heard about this device, my ears kind of perked up. And as I, <clears throat> I got one and then I went to a training recently in Lake Tahoe, a two-day workshop to learn how to use the device and there were just private citizens there as well as practitioners, and I'm really seeing that this has uh, widespread um, possibilities in terms of application for helping the body get back into a um, balance from imbalances caused by a number of different ailments. So and I'm always very careful with the wording on things like that because of the FDA in this country. You can't say that a, a device cures this or cures that. Uh, but I would say that in my own subjective experience over the past month that I've managed to alleviate a lot of issues that were going on with me and I've just scratched the surface. So essentially I'll spend uh, about 90 minutes a day in different sessions with this coil on different parts of my body just as I meditate, as I do my work and I'm having like fantastic results from that, especially having just come back from that trip in New York and I literally like did things that were superhuman. Like I can't believe the amount of work that I produced in 10 days there and then came back. Normally when I come back, I'm jet lagged for two days. I don't even turn on my phone. I, my computer's unplugged. I'm just like F off to the world. And I, I've been using this device the entire trip. I brought it with me, um, used it the minute I landed and I just got back and I, I booked like this event at the Bulletproof conference and 24 hours, I booked all the speakers and the, sponsors and I'm just like I'm performing at an insane level so I think that has a lot to do with it so the amp coil is like my number one baby right now some other things that have been very useful for me have been breath work and I've experimented with a lot of different types and styles of breath work most of them uh, to me seem to originate in the yogic traditions I'm a big fan of kundalini yoga there's a lot of breath work within that practice but more recently, I've been experiment, uh, experimenting with holotropic breathing, which is this sort of psychedelic-inducing 
consciousness raising breathing. I've also done a lot of Wim Hof breathing, but it's amazing what you can do when you oxygenate your body. You know, oxygen is the molecule of life. And to me, it's like the molecule of God and energy. And so I've really been working a lot with the breath. And that's an amazing biohack because it's free. However, the way that I practice these different um, modalities is to the to the onlooker might be quite extreme. <laughs> like if you watch me doing my my shamanic breath work, you'd be like, "This fucking dude is crazy." Because I go for quite a long time. It's very intense. There's really long exhale holds, really long inhale holds. You tense up your whole body. I mean, it's it's like a workout. It's a practice. But there's like nothing I found that helps elevate my mood, uh, my focus, my mental performance, just physical energy. I use I do it on the plane. I always get a seat that's hopefully not close to other people. Another thing that I'm really into is cold and hot exposure. So many of the things that I like to do involve mimicking nature. And so I think what a lot of the problem we have is as these biological machines made of protoplasm is that we're actually designed to work within the circadian rhythms of the planets and the sun and the magnetic field of the earth and hot and cold weather and um, sun exposure and the energy of the planet being grounded, earthing, all this kind of stuff. So I often use different technologies to sort of um, simulate what it may have been like to live as a more natural human that was not so divorced from the earth and the water and the air that has um, allowed us to evolve. So I do a lot of ice baths. I'll go in an ice bath for 10 to 20 minutes at 35, 40 degrees. I do cryotherapy a lot. I do infrared saunas in my clear light sauna just about every day. I have a device sitting in front of me here. If we were on video, I could show you. But it's called the Juve uh, Red Light Therapy Device. And um, this is called, um, what is it called? Photobiomodulation. And essentially, it's got, it hangs on a door and you stand naked in front of it for 10 minutes a day, twice a day. And it fires up all of your mitochondria and gives you energy. It essentially mimics the really health-giving and life-giving frequencies of the sun without having to go outside. Although I do a lot of naked sunbathing too, just did that this morning. So this Juve red light device um, is really good for healing wounds. It's good for sore muscles. It's It can increase your testosterone by 300% uh, over the course of a couple months of use, which is good for men and women. And it's just like a really good feel good device. So those are some of the things that are sort of in my wheelhouse right at the moment. Um, I'll give you the weirdest biohack I probably ever did just for novelty. And that was something called Combo Frog, K-A-M-B-O. And this is a sh shamanistic medicine that uh, is originates in South America. And it's similar to ayahuasca, but there's no psychoactive element. But it kind of comes from that same jungle medicine tradition. And Combo Frog essentially works like this. Some natives out in the freaking jungle... Uh, trap this frog, they tie it up, sort of hog tie it between some sticks with some string and they agitate it and it excretes this venom out of its skin. They scrape off that venom, they dry it, put it in a little baggie, send it up to California with some hippie. I go to that hippie's house in Topanga Canyon. They take a piece of Palo Santo and burn five holes in my arm and take this poison and rub it into the holes what? in my arm. And then you just start writhing and and then you just basically spend the next 15 minutes writhing in pain, throwing up and shitting your pants. And that is a combo frog ceremony. 
the purpose of that is to me still relatively unknown. It just sounded like an intense thing to do. <laughs> uh, the the people of the jungle, the indigenous people that use uh, the combo frog, use it before hunting, and it's said to really, um, you know, the the Western view is that it hyperactivates your immune system because there's not it, it's because it's not going into your bloodstream, but rather into your lymphatic fluid because it's a burn. It's not injected. If it went into your bloodstream, you'd die. But what happens is it's just enough poison to really piss your immune system off and supercharge that, which ensues this massive all-at-once detox, hence all of the throwing up and all of the shit in your pants. So there's the detox element, there's the immune system modulation, and then there's just this intense focus that comes over you for about, I'd say about two weeks afterward, where you sort of drive around like Jason Bourne and feel completely invincible, which is why the native people use it prior to, to a big hunt. When they go out on a hunting exposition, uh, expedition, all of the men do a combo frog ceremony. And so I did it once, you know, you're supposed to do it a series of times according to the tradition, but I did it once and I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> once, <laughs> once was fine. But if I hear about something like that, you know, I want to see a little research, but more than anything, I'm just, I'm just guided by my intuition. And if my intuition's like, yeah, I need to do that, then I go do it. Um, so I, I find a lot of random things like that, but essentially to me, the biggest biohack is like, how can I mimic a life in nature while still living in an urban environment. So protecting myself from EMFs and I'm pretty aggressive about blocking blue, uh, non-native fake lighting in my home. I wear orange glasses that are custom made when I go out at night. Uh, I really take care of my mitochondria. I take care of my melatonin, my dopamine. I'm very conscious about uh, lifestyle and, and biohacks that really protect my neurotransmitters because I like to feel really good and happy and energetic. So those are a few of the things that I'm up to currently. Mm, sounds really great. I, I can resonate and relate to a lot of those things. And we've got the Swannies blue blocking glasses. Are they the ones you use? Uh, I, I actually, you know, it's funny. I've interviewed uh, James Swanick on my show and been on his, but I have some other ones. Uh, I have a couple different pairs now that I'm working with. One is by a company called True Dark. That's T-R-U-D-A-R-K. And they're, they're a little more scientific than the Swannies. I think the Swannies are a good like entry level and they're definitely better than like staring at blue light after dark. Uh, but the true darks are a little more intense. They have like a kind of an evening daytime version. And then they have a really dark red pair at night that you literally can't drive in because you, you cannot tell what color the lights are. It turns all the lights red. It's really intense. But I use those when I'm flying or, you know, when I really want to be conscientious about that last couple hours before sleep. The other ones, um, I get my prescription glasses actually dipped in this special red dye. Uh, by my friend Matt Maruka. And I don't remember, he just changed his website. Oh God, I wish I could remember it offhand. But anyway, they were just like a, a custom job because uh, there's very specific wavelengths of light that you have to block if you don't want your melatonin to be disrupted. And a lot of people think melatonin is just for sleep, but it's actually the master hormone in our body. And if your melatonin gets messed up, you have like a cascade effect where all of your hormones eventually become imbalanced as well as your neurotransmitters. And melatonin is also the number one cancer-fighting compound in the human body. So the circadian rhythm and really you know, doing your best to at least mimic going down with the sun and rising with the sun, even though our modern lifestyle doesn't really allow that, there's things that you can do to sort of trick your biology into thinking you're following the natural rhythm of light. 
And, uh, you know, sun, as we know, is the ultimate energy in our galaxy and in our solar system, at least. Well, not our galaxy, I guess our solar system, rather. And, you know, it's all sustenance on Earth comes from the sun's power, that radiation. Whether you eat plants or animals, like what you're eating is sun, essentially, and your body also eats sun. So um, keeping your, your light exposure in your eyes and on your skin in alignment with what's going on in nature is really important. And this is one of those things that gets like borderline controlling, obsessive and stuff. But honestly, like the more PhD uh, neurosurgeons that I interview, like this is the light thing is more important than any food or anything to me. It's, it's really, really crucial. And I think it's one of those things in 50 years, we're going to be looking back like when doctors recommend that you smoke cigarettes, you know, we're going to be like, oh my God, I can't fucking believe we had these devices that shine this, this really unnatural wavelength, the blue light in your face all day long on your phones and computers and, you know, us being afraid of the sun from being brainwashed by the, the sunscreen companies and all of this nonsense, you know, um, so I'm really big on, on, on getting in light, getting in hot, getting in cold and trying to align myself with the principles of nature as much as possible. I love that. And I'm also, that. you know, I have kind of olive skin, so I do really well in the sun. And I, I can just tell my body just eats up sun. So just about every morning I go out on my porch and just nude sunbathe for about 10, 15 minutes while I do my little reading and things like that, you know. So I'm all about like getting into nature whenever possible, but I live in the middle of Hollywood. And so <laughs> I can't, can't do that. When I was in New York, same thing. So it's like what devices or tricks can I use to kind of stay in in rhythm with the planet, even though I'm actually living in a, li a lifestyle that's completely in, in direct opposition to nature most of the time. And what do you think of CBD? Have you ever tried the CBD oil? What do you think of CBD as a biohacking tool? You know, the CBD thing is interesting, and I don't know that I necessarily am qualified to speak on the science of it, but it's something I'm curious about. And so I had a guy on my show, uh, this guy, um, Brian Chaplin, who owns a, and actually owns a cannabis company here in California called Medicine Box. And being someone that's sober and you know, I'm, I don't have the luxury of using uh, THC or cannabis products recreationally, I was, you know, interviewing him and asking him what the, the real value is of those products because his products are used um, primarily medicinally from people with degenerative diseases like cancer and things like that. And um, I'm sure people use his products to get high too, because they're really high quality, no pun intended. But uh, but he's really aiming toward, you know, people that are into herbalism and natural healing and stuff like that. And from the way he broke down the science to me, um, it seems to be, and, and there's a lot of uh, supporting evidence online that you can find uh, for this too, is that CBD in and of itself without the psychoactive component of THC is relatively weak, if not ineffective, to really have too many benefits. And a lot of the CBD stuff is based just on marketing uh, because CBD without THC can be sold in places where marijuana is illegal. And so people want to make money off the cannabis plant, so they tout supposed health benefits of just plain CBD. But according to Brian and other research that I've done, you need a little bit of the active component of THC in order to activate and maximize the effects of the CBD. So the most powerful oils you can use are actually ones that contain both a, uh, a synergistic kind of whole plant extract, which would be the CBD and THC oil. 
Now, how I've managed to work around that with that without ending up back in rehab or something is uh, I just found out the the maximum effective dose where you know based on my my 280 pounds and being six foot two, what my threshold is for THC containing oil. CBD oil that has THC where I won't feel it and like get high. And so I find that at around four milligrams, I get really great benefits for sleep, for relaxation, anxiety, uh, definitely great for reduction in pain. If you're using an indica strain, there's indica and sativa are the two main strains of marijuana. I know that because I was a huge stoner <laughs> and the, the indica kind of knocks you out and it'll make you, you know, really sort of lethargic and you get more of a body high where sativa makes you kind of more hyper and talkative. So that holds true for the medicinal uses of marijuana. So if you use the indica strains of CBD with THC, it's really great for just physical pain and things like that. And there's a lot of really um, valid research in terms of treating disease with mega doses of THC and CBD. But of course, I am not dying of cancer, thankfully. So I just take enough to where I get the physical benefits without actually feeling high and sitting feeling like I want to go eat a bunch of chocolates, you know? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's it's something that's coming up a lot. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that plant is just has an unbound, um, you know, potential for uses. I mean, there's so many things that the hemp or cannabis plant can be used for. And I really believe it, uh, believe in it strongly as a medicine for different diseases and things like that. It's just, unfortunately, you can't patent or, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, you can't patent THC or strains of weed, you know, so the pharmaceutical companies have a, a really powerful um, lobby power and they have a vested interest in making sure that medicinally marijuana is marginalized and that the effects are, are minimized in terms of research. And no one's really going to fund a lot of research because there's no money to be made unless you're a grower. You know, and you can't patent it. So if you make, you know, an opioid or a synthetic opioid like um, OxyContin or something that is patentable, patentable, <laughs> then uh, then there's a lot of money to be made. But you know, if you teach someone how to grow a weed garden in their backyard and extract the oils and cure themselves of cancer, well, that's really bad for business. So it's it's a very interesting um, place we are with that particular plant at the moment, and I'm curious to see sort of where it goes. You know, I think people are sort of opening up to it. Even my dad, uh, who's, you know, never been a stoner in his entire life, but he lives in Colorado where it's legal and he has glaucoma and a lot of these physical issues. So he went down to like the local weed store to try and get some, you know, edibles for his insomnia and glaucoma and stuff. And I actually, I forgot to check in to see if he got high or not, but I mean, he was willing to give it a try just because he keeps reading stuff online that it's okay for you know, a sober dude in his seventies that has no interest in partying to use marijuana medicinally. So it's, it's exciting, but the CBD by itself, I'm, I'm quite dubious personally. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it's just coming up so much and I'm seeing it and hearing about it. So I was just curious to hear your thoughts. So thank you. I'd love to shift gears now and I would love to hear what is bringing you the most joy right now in your life. Oh man, that's easy. What's bringing me the most joy is being able to produce my podcast. And also as of late, just really in the past couple months, I just, I'm getting, I guess I've invited myself into a couple events to speak, you know, like, Hey, let me come do something. And they go, okay. But now I'm starting to get invited to do a lot of public speaking. 
And so sharing my guests with the world and then also just having the opportunity to go speak in front of groups of people and share the things that I've discovered and I'm continuing to discover. I think that's like absolutely the number one joy in my life right now because it's it's really the first time in my 46, almost 47 years that it's like, I don't even, I just know that I'm living in accordance with my highest good and my purpose. Why, why, this is why I'm here, at least for now, you know, who knows, maybe later in life I'll become a peanut farmer or something. But for right now, uh, my purpose seems to be sharing information and experience with, with the world and helping people to, um, you know, to enlighten themselves to different ways in which they can uh, improve their lives. And so, yeah, the podcast, man, is so fun. And not just the sh- the, the show uh, from what I get to share with other people, but just my own personal experience of the people that I get to meet as a result of having a show. It's just like the conversations I have with the most brilliant, inspiring, beautiful people on a regular basis. It's like, I just sometimes pinch myself. I can't even believe this is my life. It's just fantastic. I mean, like I said, in that trip to New York that I just wrapped up, I did 15 interviews and it's like, everyone was better than the one before. It was just like, oh my God, can this get any better? I'm just meeting such high vibe people, man. Just the coolest people. I didn't even know some of them I'd never even heard of. And then I just research or I get a recommendation and I'm meeting people that are just the most brilliant. And so I'm sort of building friendships and relationships and a network of people that are just, I think some of the most, you know, inspiring thought leaders in, in the health and wellness and, and the spiritual space right now. So it's like, you know, the people I interview end up a lot of them becoming friends and peers. And I'm just, I'm literally going, I can't believe this is my life. I'm just so happy to be having this experience. I totally agree and relate. It's the best. And yeah, it's so good. And I'm so, yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. Like even just meeting you, I'm like, oh, he's so beautiful, such a nice person. And just hearing your story and chatting with you before the interview, it's it's amazing. So I can totally relate. Yeah, I bet. I bet. How long have you been doing your show? I started in February this year. So I think you will be 44, number 44. So yeah. Cool. Wow, you're doing great. I was I went on the uh, the iTunes charts the other day because I've been I'm a little over a year now on my show. It was a year uh, anniversary on June 6th, and I've I've been waiting. Like, God damn it, when is my show gonna chart? Like, I have huge guests. I have I'm almost up to a million downloads. I'm like I was never in the top 200 or whatever in iTunes, and then so a couple weeks ago I went and looked in there. I was like, God damn it, I'm number 85. I couldn't believe it. And then I saw your show as I checked over the subsequent couple weeks, and it's always up. Up there in the rankings too, so I'm really happy for you. It's, that's a great start, man, for just kicking it off in the past few months. Yeah, oh, so good. It's been the best. I'm just having such a great time, like you said. And we hit a million downloads a few months ago, like maybe two months ago. Which oh is my just, god, that's amazing. I know it's been awesome, and like like you said. It's, it's like I pinch myself. I'm like, this is what I get to do. I get to like interview epic people and chat to them and become friends with them. Like, are you serious? Is this real life? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Same here. 
Well, it's been epic to have you. So I, um, I've got a couple more questions before sure. you head off. I would love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world, what book would you choose? Oh my God, that's a great question. Wow, I love that. I mean, it's it's a tough one to answer because it's like, I know the book that I think would serve, but would high school students relate to it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what would be the book that would that would best sort of infiltrate their consciousness in a positive way? So I don't know. That's that is tough. I would have to say, I think the most pr- profound yet simple book that I've read on just spiritual pursuit and personal development is a book called "Letting Go: The Pathway of Surrender." by David Hawkins, Dr. Mm. David Hawkins. And he wrote a number of books and he's, you know, one of my all-time favorite teachers. I used to go see him speak out in Sedona before he died. And he's just a just amazingly enlightened, just raw, real, cool dude. He was like he was like a Republican that ate meat. You know what I mean? It's just like he was just like a, the the real deal. Uh not that that makes you the real deal, but he was he was not sort of um he was not uh, wrapped up with all the accoutrement of, of, you know, some spiritual teachers. He's just very pragmatic and I really liked his approach, but he wrote a number of books that were extremely dense. I mean, he was a psychiatrist for 50 years, spiritual seeker for equal time. I mean, he was just a really, really deep guy. So a lot of his books are very hard for your average person to understand. Some of them took me years to be able to even comprehend, but he wrote one, um, shortly before he died, the book that I mentioned, Letting Go, and it was so weird because he wrote it and it came out after he died and I read it and I was like, did he really write this? Because this is so, it's like written from such a simpleton <laughs> point of view. I mean, it's real, the language is like so common and just bare bones. It's really, really easy to understand. Uh, but the premise of that book essentially is, as the title suggests, is about um, rather than running from negative feelings and emotions and repressing and suppressing, which leads to all of these different neuroses, he teaches in that book how to really, um, to really process negative thoughts and feelings in real time in order to move through them as quickly as possible and to benefit from the lessons. So it's sort of a treatise in applying spiritual principles to your life. And I think for a high school kid, it would probably be I think it would probably be intelligible. Uh, it would make sense on some level. Mm, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, it's, it really is. It's one of those ones I just read over and over again. It's not like the book you're like, oh, I read that. It's like, no, I'm currently reading that and probably will for <laughs> a number of years, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link to that in the show notes so that people can go and read it because I think everyone needs to read that one. Yeah, it's fantastic. And like I said, it's very accessible. So you don't have to be a spiritual person to read it. It just makes total sense. It's amazing. So let's chat about how your days look. Now, I am obsessed with hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day. So I know that no two days are ever the same, but do you have a little morning routine or something that you do or things that you do throughout the day that really set you up for success? Oh, for sure. You know, I actually try to make my mornings as rote as possible. I I actually plan my morning routine and try not to deviate from it so that I actually do the same thing every day to avoid decision fatigue. 
and just like get the day going. So, um, there's only one standard deviation there because I'll do one thing or the other, which I'll explain. So the very first thing I do is I reach over and I grab my phone, which is of course on airplane mode. Cause I'm not trying to give myself radiation therapy in my brain when I'm sleeping. And then I'll immediately put on either an audiobook of someone like David Hawkins or a lecture from someone like that or a spiritually centered podcast. So maybe Sharon Salzberg, Ram Das, uh, Tara Brock, um, something really inspiring in terms of mindset, even like a personal development guy like um, Brandon Richard or Zig Ziglar or even Dave Ramsey, like a show about just being responsible and working hard and and stuff like that. So I'll put on something really inspiring just so the first voices I hear and the first thoughts in my head are all positive. And then I'll drink my big water, which I described earlier, which is just has a number of different nutrients that really wake you up. One of them being the sea salt, which really fires up your adrenals and, um, and uh, balances your um, alkalinity in the morning because you can get quite acidic when you sleep. So I love the salt water and then the magnesium bicarbonate and a little iodine in there. So I just kind of have my little water-based drink. I pound that down while I'm listening to that, the audio, um, you know, the spiritual audio stuff. And then I'll take a 100% cold shower pretty much right away. And I don't turn on the hot water. I just go cold, cold, cold for 10 minutes. And then after I get out of the shower, I'll come do my red light therapy on the Jew for 10 minutes. Then I'll go brew a bulletproof coffee or some sort of herbal or medicinal mushroom concoction with some good fats in there, like bulletproof brain octane and some grass-fed butter. Some days it's coffee, some days it's not. It depends how hyper I want to be. I don't drink that coffee, though. I just put it in a little um, you know, um, uh, hot cup. And then I'll go on the porch and do some nude sunbathing where I read some spiritual literature. If I have no discipline that day, I will also look at Instagram and Twitter, <laughs> if I'm really honest. But I'm, I really don't want to do that. But sometimes that, that habitually sneaks in there in my little morning sun session. And then here's where the, the fork in the road happens. At that point, I'll either go to Kundalini Yoga with my teacher, Tage, at Nine Treasures Yoga in Hollywood uh, from 9 to um, 10.30, an hour and a half. If I don't go to yoga, then I'll opt for, which is you know maybe two or three days a week I go there, I'll do a 20-minute Vedic meditation. And the Vedic meditation I do while also giving myself an amp coil treatment. And some of the programs in the amp coil, the frequencies are really to up, uh, like, like reboot your brain or to balance your chakras, to balance your energy. Some of them like produce positive neurotransmitters. So I'll do something really feel good normally on the amp coil while I meditate. I also, when I meditate, you're not supposed to do this in the tradition that I practice, which is called Vedic meditation. It's a mantra based meditation, but I wear these big earmuffs, like what they wear at the airport, the guys working on the ground. They're like um, ear protected, protecting like earmuffs because I like it really, really silent when I meditate and I don't want to hear any horns or like trash trucks or anything. So I go into this really deep meditative state and I may or may not even um, during that time stack on some other modalities. Like I might put on my yoga toes, my yoga separators to give my feet some therapy. I always um, sit on my biomat. The biomat is an infrared amethyst uh, heating pad essentially it's really really relaxing it puts you in this great parasympathetic nervous system state so that kind of further facilitates the relaxation of the meditation 
And then um, once I've kind of done all that, which takes about an hour and a half to two hours, then and only then will I go anywhere near email or a computer and I'll write my little to-do list of the stuff that I have to do and I'll get cracking on my on my show or whatever it is that I'm working on. And I usually don't start any kind of work or contact with the world until about 11 a.m. And then I'll typically work up until eight or nine at night with a lot of breaks. Yeah, I go for walks, I stretch, do yoga. Um, I'll go jump in the ice bath, I'll go to cry, I'll go grab lunch. I, I try to not like really work straight through, but in between each big creative task, I'll like reboot and I'll go outside and walk barefoot in the grass, get some sun in my eyes, and then I'll come back in and start the next thing. And thus ensues um, some really beautifully productive days. Mm, sounds good. I've got into a little bit of a habit at school holidays here and I have an 11-year-old stepson. So I have got into a little bit of a stinky habit of checking email and social media before he wakes up because once he's awake, um, my day starts when I want to be fully present with him. I don't want to be on my phone. So I'm like squeezing in my emails and my social media before he wakes up. But it's kind of stinky because... It makes me feel a bit gross then for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, I totally know what you mean. The social media is tough, man. It's it's tough. It's really addictive. It's I have a hard time. Actually, I was having a um, like a thirty day challenge with a friend of mine on on. We're DMing each other on Instagram, and my challenge to her was no social media before uh, meditating, and hers to me was no nail biting. And I last about. 15 minutes without biting my nails. I don't know how she's doing on the social media, but it kind of made me, because I gave her that challenge, it made me be more aware of, you know, can I get up and really check in with myself and do my meditation and all of that sort of spiritual self-care before I engage on social media. And some days I'm able to resist and some days I'm not. I would say right now I'm probably on a, on a, on a fail on that front, but definitely I will not check my email. It's just, I'm not ready for the world until I get centered. Like there's no way I'm going to look at like go online, look on the internet, look at my email until I'm fully checked into the world and ready to face, you know, the issues that might uh, come at me with some degree of, um, of brevity, you know? Mm, I always feel so good when I take the first few hours for myself in the morning. I'm exactly like you. I just feel amazing. But I never, ever, ever look at my phone until after I've done my meditation and some yoga. But um, usually I try and push it all back to about 10 o'clock. But yeah, on school holidays, it's been a little bit different. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll give you a pass on that one. I mean, when there's kids involved, it's I don't have kids, but I have friends that do. It's like all bets are off. You can have all sorts of great ideas about the various disciplines that you want to impose upon yourself. And it's like when there's a kid around, it's like, you know, the, the kid seems to override a lot of your preferences and plans when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And my intention is to not be on my phone in front of him. My intention is to be fully present. And yeah, that's something that I personally just really want to be mindful of and work on. So that is my goal. And I will, as soon as school goes back, I will get back into that little routine. But um, I would love to hear now, what are three things you're most recently grateful for? I'm really grateful to have this conversation with you. Oh, thanks. Me too. Yeah, it's wonderful to be able to be interviewed. I love just talking about the stuff that I find that works. And so it's great to have a platform and a great conscious guest like you that knows good questions and is sort of living the similar lifestyle. So that's something I'm really grateful for. And then 
I would say having just come back into town from a from a long hardworking trip uh, back east, I'm just really grateful for my city, man. I'm, I'm back in LA and I'm I'm doing an event to kick off the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference here next week and. I just put it up this morning uh, and sent out a newsletter and it sold out in like an hour. Well, it's free, but I mean, it you know filled up in about an hour. And after it filled up, I thought, shit, I should have charged. <laughs> Literally, like it was like 75% full. And I was like, why did I make it free? I'm actually spending money to put this goddamn thing on. But I'm grateful to be here, you know, in, in Los Angeles with my friends and just so many like-minded people here. Um, as challenging as city life can be from a biologic standpoint and just the level of stress and noise and pollution and all the things that I don't like. Um, it is my home and has been for the past 29 years. So I'm really grateful to be back here and in my own apartment and my own podcast studio with all my gadgets and friends and everything like that. And then, uh, the third I think would be my other business school of style, uh, which I've had for nine years. It's a, it's a fashion school where we teach one very specific, career path in fashion and that is of a fashion stylist which i described earlier so uh, in 2008 i founded that school and have been training students in up to eight different cities at different points i've trained over 3,000 kids and helped so many of them get careers at all different levels in the industry and it's been a very fulfilling um, you know job and i've learned how to be a ceo and learned how to have a startup and survive and thrive and have lean times and boonful times and all of that. And now uh, my partner, Lauren Masai, and I have decided after nine years that we're going to end our live classes, which typically take place between four and six times per year. So we're going to do one more live class in LA in November. And then starting in 2018, we're going to merge that business into a 100% online class model. And for that, my dear, I am very grateful and excited because it's been a lot of years of flying around the country, teaching these classes. I do like 10 hours a day for nine days in a row. Some of my classes, I teach the whole thing. It's, it's a lot. So I'm really um, grateful to be kind of making a pivot there with that business and looking forward to having, you know, a true online business where we do launches and sales funnels and like have a very clear systematic way to not only market those services, but to present the services to people uh, on a larger worldwide scale and do it in a way in which that doesn't require me to have to be there. Mm. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I just want to congratulate you for speaking at the Bulletproof Conference. I have wanted to go for so many years and I will get there. Maybe I'll get there next year. It just hasn't worked out with school holidays and, and things that I've had going on. I've just finished my second book. So I will get there and hopefully next year you'll be speaking at it. But I just wanted to congratulate you and wish you all the best for next week. That's so exciting. I love Dave Asprey's work and I think the Bulletproof Conference would be so much fun. Yeah, I've been the past couple of years in a row and it, it really is, uh, it's it's really, I think, I, I haven't been to every single health and wellness conference in the world, obviously, but out of the ones that I have been to, I think it's it's the most vibrant and exciting because there's just people from all over the world that are so high functioning and high performance and just high energy. It's, it's really, really intense. And then you have all of the, the tech hall where you get to go try all this stuff out and meet all of the vendors and inventors of all this great technology. So it's just, it's very cool. Yeah. And just to, just to clarify in the, in the interest of, um, of having accurate reporting, I'm not speaking at the conference itself, although I will be there and 
be everywhere at once as I tend to do like the Tasmanian devil of networking that I am. But the event I was referring to is a pre-launch kickoff party at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in downtown LA, which I did last year. So the Thursday night before the conference begins on Friday morning, I host this big event. And this time I'm recording a live podcast with this woman, Jaya, who's a really amazing sex expert and teacher. So we're going to make a big party out of it the night before and teach people how to beat jet lag and travel hacks and uh, teach them how to overcome hangovers and things like that and like get everybody geared up for the conference. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was there. And I love Jaya. I love her work. So that would be amazing. Well, maybe you can get out next year. You know, it sounds it sounds like uh, it'd be right up your alley. It's a really fun event, honestly. Like, I encourage anyone that's into that stuff to to make a trip out of it because it's also three days. I mean, it's just it's just next level. It doesn't stop. It's just craziness. So, yeah, can't wait. <laughs> so, I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. What is one of the most important things that we could do for our health? Number one thing to do for your health is to get on really good, clean water. And my personal top recommendation for water is actual true spring water in glass bottles. So that's avoiding any kind of filtered municipal tap water. I'm really not a big fan of filtered water in any respect, uh, unless it's you know in a kombucha or something like that. If you're having some sort of bottled drink, you do want to make sure that the water's you know, adequately filtered. But I'm a huge believer in really, really clean water um, based on the fact that most of your body is actually made of that water. So if you think about all of the fluids, including your blood and everything else in your body, essentially are made from the water that you take in. And so you don't want your blood made of plasticized tap water. <laughs> so finding a way to get the cleanest, most pristine natural water that you can to me is the number one. And it's something that's often overlooked, I think, just because a lot of people lack uh, the knowledge about how bad most water is and how inefficient and ineffective most filtration systems are. Yeah, I'm a massive believer in clean water as well. It's so important. It makes a difference and then you feel different. So thanks for that little tip. Now, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our wealth to be more abundant and rich in every area of our life? You know, I, I've been looking at this myself lately, and I think it's really examining uh, one's limiting beliefs in terms of how much, how much, like in my in my experience, how much I'm limiting myself, and how much of a ceiling that I've sort of put on myself in terms of abundance, whether that be financial or otherwise. And so, something I'm really working on is a lot of visualization, a lot of um, writing, a lot of intentions reading my vision cards before I go to bed, reading them when I wake up. I, for the moment, am single, so I don't have to have a cute-looking bedroom. Uh, and I have these big white papers all over my room just because I didn't have another room in my house to put them. And they they state my yearly income, my net income per month, uh, the fact that I have zero debt, which is a goal of mine, and I'm not quite there yet from my, my uh, fucking raging 20s when I first got credit cards or whatever, 20s and 30s. So I think setting clear goals and really being mindful of self-limiting beliefs in terms of how much success you feel you deserve. And that's, that's what I'm working with now. And it's paying off because I'm being, you know, the universe is saying, okay, cool. You think that you deserve this much money? We're going to give it to you. And so it actually works. Mm, 
I agree. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? That one's really easy. I think that it's it's really making a concerted effort to project loving kindness all throughout your day and all of your interactions. And this is really, it's a really fun habit to do. And what, what I find is the most practical way to do that is as you're out in the world and you're dealing with, you know, the checkout person at the bank and the grocery store and the person who just gave you a parking ticket because you left your car and at the meter too long and any other human beings that you interact with, especially strangers that you would normally sort of discount uh, as a utilitarian service being provided to you as you're out interacting with the world is to really look at the humanity of each person and have an inward blessing and an inward sense of love and compassion and understanding and positive loving regard for each and every person that you interact with during the day. Now, I can say that. Do I do that? No. There's probably 20 people a day I interact with and they're just like, they're just a, you know, a warm body that's putting groceries in a bag for me. But I really am attempting, you know, the, the best I can to build that into my daily habits where I'm really acknowledging people and looking them in the eyes and just saying thank you and expressing my appreciation. I think the outward pouring of that unconditional love has its own sort of rebound effect. And I start feeling the love come back. Like I just had a girl over here today, like I said, taking my blood. And you know, I'm not trying to be Mr. Nice Guy or anything, but I just... I think I was just really kind and sweet to her. I just, I really expressed how much I appreciated her help. And she was just so nice and such a lovely person. And I didn't ignore that to myself. I had gratitude for her. Anyone could have showed up, but I got this really sweet woman. And, and I let her know that I felt that way in a non-weird way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure she has a lot of weird situations going into strangers' homes and poking them in the arm and taking blood, but it was just a great way to start my day. I was just like, wow, you're such an awesome person. Thank you for just being so sweet and taking care of me. Have a great day. And it just it just set the tone for my day of just expressing that love toward someone who I don't even remember their name now. Mm, that's so nice. One of my life goals is to be the nicest, kindest person I can be to myself and to everyone else. So thank you for reminding us of that. And I have one more question for you. I love these like little rapid fire questions. These are cool. <laughs> well, this is my last one for you. What is one thing that I personally and the listeners today can do to serve you. I, My mission in life is to be of service and I want to know how we can serve you today. <laughs> Send me money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They'd have to, they'd have to like buy into my podcast for a while before they would agree to do that. You know what? Uh, what I really love is I love for people to go to my website, lukestory.com. And on the homepage, there's, um, you know, an enter your email thing. It says join the evolution. And I love for people to sign up for my newsletter because I'm producing so much cool content all the time. Uh, I very rarely have anything to promote or sell per se. Um, I'm, I, I do coaching with people, but I always have more inquiries than I have time to fulfill them. So I don't even necessarily promote that. Um, really what I, I like to send out in my newsletter is just, I make weird little videos of discoveries that I make about health. I send out no notifications when I release a podcast or when I'm featured on a podcast like yours today, when that comes out, I'll send that out to my newsletter. And I find that that's a really fun way to uh, communicate with people and build that 
community that I've always craved of like-minded people. So going to lukestory.com and joining my newsletter would be a great uh, benefit to my life. Mm, We will do that and we'll put a link in the show notes. Everyone can go and check that out. And finally, I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for sharing so openly, authentically and honestly with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I always love meeting people in real life and you know I followed you for a while and we were connected through our mutual friend Daniel Vitalis and meeting someone for the first time it's like are they going to be like they are in 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 the podcast and you are so genuine and you're so beautiful even though we had some technical issues at the start which can sometimes put people off you were just so so elegant and graceful and I just want to acknowledge you for that you're such a beautiful person I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect Um, I know you and my husband would get along so well and you and I would and if you ever come to Sydney you must let us know and we'll do the same when we come to LA. But I just really am so grateful that we've been able to connect and um, I'm just, yeah, so, so grateful. As am I. Thanks so much, Melissa. It's been a really fun conversation. What a beautiful man, so full of wisdom and knowledge. I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes because that means we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Luke and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 44. And you can check out all my other podcast episodes there too. And whilst you're there, you can sign up to my newsletter to be the very first to know when you can pre-order my next book, Open Wide, which I am so excited about. It is coming out very soon and I cannot wait to get it in your hands. So thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself possible and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from today's episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.